0: Welcome back, Bearcats fans. And Cincinnati fans. It's opening day tomorrow. Yes. yes. It's a holiday. That's not an April Fool's prank either. No, it's it's not. It's legitimately April Fool's Day tomorrow and also Red's opening day. It's gonna be cold. Really cold. So Very if, cold. if you're one of those few people that's going to the game, make sure you dress up, because it's probably gonna be windy too, and it's gonna add a wind chill. But we got a lot to unpack today. It's been a couple it's been almost two weeks. To The day it, w- it would have been two weeks tomorrow since we've done a show. I'm Sean McMahon, joined by Alex Frank. Welcome back to Inside the 275 Loop. So, Alex, we got a few things to unpack here. Uh, well,
1: can I just say, you know, I mentioned that it's this, it's not an April Fool's Spring tomorrow's opening day. Did you see what the Bengals put on their Instagram account today? Was it uh, Joe Burrow walking out of that? that yes, uh, with a bag of footballs. So, Joe Burrow is
0: throwing ahead of schedule in his rehab. Which is really good. You always love to see that for oh, Joe Burrow. Of course, you do. Absolutely love to he's see. He's starting that. week one. You can guarantee. It's it. it's it's really annoying that he's even in that position to begin with. You know. Well, yes, I will. That's, I can't sugarcoat that. That's what frustrates me about that video. Is that like, man, he should not even have to be in that position to begin with. Like, oh no. You know, the fact that we're celebrating the fact that Joe Burrow is recovering from injury is like... That's because he's the lord and savior of this city. Well, I, I know why we're celebrating it. It just sucks that we... They, I don't know. Point being... I understand. Get a damn O-line. Uh darn line Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> no, you can say damn. Okay. All right. On this show, you can say damn. I'm going to abuse the heck out of it. No, I'm kidding. Anyway. So... Alex, last night, you and I were both, well, you were sort of at the game. I mean, you were you were doing the ESPN Plus coverage of it. You were doing the scoreboard as you do, which I don't know if we've mentioned that on this show before. I don't think we have. So Alex does do the scoreboard on TV, um, you know, the little one that you see down in the corner or on the bottom of the screen. I don't know where they have it. Nowadays. It's in the
1: ESPN's got theirs in the upper left. Upper you're left. Watching on TV. And
0: then also does some of the graphics. And then I was actually at the game with a sports reporting class last night. And boy, we were in for a treat. Number seven, oh. Louisville took a trip here uh, to Cincinnati and took on the Bearcats at home. And uh, boy, it was a—I f- mean, my professor Michael Perry could not have picked a better game all season to to go to. Go to. I'm thankful, and this isn't—I'm not trying to be offensive to women, but I'm really thankful we went to this game and not a women's basketball game. I really am because I. I've never been to a UC baseball game before.
1: That was your first UC baseball game in have ever Yeah. Been to.
0: That was my fi- that was my first one believe wow. it or not. Not it wasn't the first one I watched to clarify. I, well, I I've yeah. watched I watched the conference tournament run uh and I watched like a little over half of the game in Corvallis, I had to go to bed early. I had work the next morning at like 7 a.m. I had but, to go to bed early. Okay, I did. I mean, if you want, I I, I I know what you. Okay, you you. I do, had to be. I had to be up at like six in the morning. You do. You do a lot of uh, and I, I hard worked, labor. I well, that was before I did landscaping. That was when I worked at Walt Sweeney in the service department, and it was a. Uh, well,
1: still. You it already, was about an
0: eight or seven hour day. So I did not because I'm doing a lot of walking around. Anyway. We're getting off topic. Uh, the Bearcats did win the game last night. It was a it was a thrilling end of the game. Yeah. The bases were loaded. There was one out. Um, I don't know what the count was at the time. You um, shouldn't... Eh. Well, it was Ryan Nicholson. Ryan Nicholson was at bat, and the bases were loaded. And, uh, boy, let me tell you, we were... We weren't supposed to be fans of the game last night, meaning me and my... Sports reporting class, because they were there to report on the game. We were rooting for a good story. And, man, did we really get a good story. I mean, at one point, Alex, the Bearcats were down 8-2. to f- eight to eight Yeah. Uh, and that was, I think, in the fourth inning, if I, I'm not mistaken. I'm, I'm looking at the scoring by innings Should here. at the bottom
1: of the fourth, because they scored four runs. Louisville scored four runs in the top half of the fourth.
0: Yeah, it was definitely, yeah. Then it was definitely, um, it was definitely, because, yeah, let's see. We scored. Two runs in the first inning. That
1: was huge the, That was huge going off to the start. That was a start. big start, yeah. Mercer's home run.
0: Yeah, Louisville had four runs in the second, so that would have put them up 4-2. And then Louisville had four in the fourth. We had four in the fourth. Um, but obviously, when you had Louisville's runs together before the bottom of the fourth, it was 8-2. 8-2, that, that was sort of the moment. I mean, we were kind of joking the whole time. I mean, not even really joking. We thought we were going to get destroyed because, you know— UC had just come off a huge loss to St. Louis. By the way, they're now um, eleven and ten on the season. Um, Louisville's now sixteen and seven. Uh, Anywho, um, you know we thought like, oh man, here comes the blowout. You know, as soon as they got eight to two, but man, I'm glad we were wrong because we got one heck of a story and, and one heck of a night. And I mean, for Ryan Nicholson. I mean, what a he who's really from Louisville. Who's from Louisville? Yeah, he. Uh, I mean, he lived every kid's dream last night. You know, the dream scenario where you know you are out back with your brother, or whomever, and you know they're pitching, they're pitching to you, and you are just trying to hit a home run. And it's bottom of the ninth, bases are loaded. And, you know, you got to hit a grand slam. It wasn't quite that scenario. It was really close. Bottom of the tenth, bases were loaded. Uh, there was one out, and he just needed a hit, and he got one into right. And then drove in a run, and that was the game. And it was a thrilling way to end the game. And, and the rain was just starting to come in, too. But luckily, it held off enough to the game where it could be finished out. It didn't pour. It kind of kind of drizzled. It, it it came down sort of hard-ish for a little bit. But then it, it relaxed again, and, and we were able to finish the game out. It was a
1: 1-1 one and one count to Nicholson. It was a 1-1. One one. Okay. So there was a foul ball, and then ball one, and then uh, the walk-off uh sharp grounder in the right yeah i Uh, have the
0: play-by-play in my notebook i just don't feel like getting it out right now (laughs) it was
1: it was an incredible game and there's no other way around it look like you said sean when it was eight to two i'm thinking oh my gosh this game is going to be a blowout and my my thinking was okay i still have to run the scoreboard and yet this is going to be an absolute snooze fest because remember two years ago we played louisville here and we lost 12 to nothing now the game was close i can go back and look at that box score the game was close through the first. Actually, not close. Scoreless through, I believe, the first three innings. We can look at um, sounds that like game. Super Bowl Fifty Three. Yeah, uh, it was Louisville scored in five consecutive innings after the third inning in that game two years ago. Yikes! So it was three nothing. Still not you know out of it yet. Five nothing again. Not out of it. Seven nothing after six uh, after six innings uh 8 nothing after 7 and then they scored 4 runs in the 8th inning. So Louisville gradually built a lead on the Bearcats in that game here 2 years ago. And that point in time Cincinnati um they were, you know, trying to get around to 500. They were 18 and 21 coming in. Louisville was 31 and 9. Uh one, another spectacular season that year under head coach Dan McConnell. The Bearcats were uh, around a five hundred program. They had dug themselves out of a 1-9 and nine start, rebounded nicely. But this year, this team, like, yeah, they got off to a little bit of a slow start with those series against Clemson and Western Kentucky and UNC Wilmington even. But recently,
0: they've been playing some good baseball. I mean, they start, yeah, They, they at one point in the season, I think they were like 2-7. and seven. And now that now they are eleven and ten, yeah. and have a win over a top seven program, and last night you, you think about um, you're down eight to
1: two, going into the bottom of the fourth, and think about it, it, just think about how the Bearcats scored four runs in the bottom of the fourth. Yep, Mer- Griffin Merritt leads off with a walk. Ryan Nicholson then walks. Paul Kamastek, who hits seventh in the lineup, but has been having a really really nice season, he doubles. One run scores, Nicholson scores, Merrick goes to third, Santiago then singles. That's
0: my guy right there, Santiago. Well, he had a spectacular game last night. He did. I'll get to him. I actually asked Scott Guggen a question. Scott Guggen's a question about Santiago. What was the question? Time. I just asked him, what do you think about the performance of Santiago? And he was... What was his answer to you? It's just overly, you know, he's really impressed with the kid, as he, as he should be. Well,
1: a senior leader that he is, and he can use his extra year of eligibility because the season got cut short last year due to COVID-19. He was having a nice year... I believe he was batting over 300 last year before COVID that's shut down good.
0: the remainder of the season. I think they were only 10 games into the season, but even still, I mean, that's it. There weren't
1: that many in, you're right. So Santiago singles, that makes it 8-4. And then there was a wild pitch. Um, Cam Sheeler, the number nine hitter, grounds out. Sheeler, okay, that's how you pronounce Comastec it. Comastex score, so it's 8-5. to five. Then, then Cole Harding, the leadoff hitter, walks. Mercer gets hit by a pitch. Bases are loaded. Bellini grounds into a fielder's choice. What a run does score. I mean, think about how you're scoring those runs, Sean. You get a run, you get one run on a double. That's fine. Then you get a single. That's fine. Yep. You get a ground out and then a fielder's choice. That's playing some small ball right there. It's yeah, ma- manufacturing it was, runs. It
0: was small ball, and and I think when you see when the Bearcats were trying to win the game late in the game, they weren't really playing small ball. They were trying to hit. They, I mean, they were trying to murder the ball. But I think they quickly figured out that hey, we can't we can't be doing that kind of style of play. If we want to win this game, we got to get guys on bases, and that, and that's what we have to do. And and yeah. they did. I mean, you look at the fourth inning. I've got the play by play from my notebook here. I mean, you look at all of this. It's it's not every pitch that I have written down. It's just every significant thing that happens. You know, a hit, a steal, walk, whatever. It's all in order. Um, the fourth inning was really long. It was a really really long. I think it might be the longest inning of the game. Um,
1: it felt like because I think we were only two hours. in Because we were already two hours into the game. Here
0: was the bottom of the third. Mercer struck out. Napsick makes a play to get Bellini out at first. So Bellini's out at first, and yeah. then Stapp hits a pop fly to left, and then that was it. That was the that was the bottom of the third. That. And then the fourth inning was super long. Cincinnati had a pitching change to Nathan Moore, um, and then man, when it got to uh, when it got to the Bearcats' turn. To step up to the plate, Louisville had three different pitchers in that inning. Three different pitchers in that inning alone. But
1: I think you can attribute that to more than one reason. One, because they couldn't get any of the Bearcats hitters out, so you wanted to bring in guys. You didn't want to, you know, the pitchers to continue to get rattled. But at the same time, you're also trying to keep your arms fresh for their weekend series coming up for yeah. the Cardinals. The beauty of this being a midweek game. But once you get into conference play, the American has said you are not allowed to play a midweek game. Really, it, that is a rule this year. Because I remember we played Louisville two years ago. It was a Tuesday night game before the Wichita State series. So that's why they were able to play that game in April or mid-April, excuse me, um, two years ago. But this was—I mean, this was such a unique game because we were talking about this with Matt Newton and. and uh, Andy Nagel, we're talking about this on the broadcast. This was a measuring stick game. See where the Bearcats are at against not only Louisville, who's only 102 miles south of here, number seven in the country, but also, Sean, think about we're playing East Carolina tomorrow, or, yeah, starting tomorrow. That's another top 10 team. Yep. and that's within your own conference.
0: Yeah, that's uh, you got to have a quick turnaround there. It's a it's a three it's a three game series, correct?
1: It's a, no it's a four game series. Okay, every, four game series. Yes, every conference will be a, every conference team will be a four game series, I believe. Really? How about that? Which means you're going to get, um, what thirty? No, twenty eight conference games, which which actually makes sense to me. I
0: honestly think if the Bearcats just get one win this weekend, I think that's monumental. You go because one, then you have two, not straight necessarily two, straight wins, but you have two straight series where you have at least one win over a top 10 ranked team.
1: But you know what's interesting is, actually I just realized it will be 32 conference games because they play ECU at home as well, Oh, really? which is the one series I won't be in town for. So you're going to have to keep an, a tabs on that one for yeah. us. Uh, yeah, and the interesting thing is, because remember when we won the conference tournament, East Carolina got knocked out
0: early. You know what I do? That's right. Who did they lose to? They
1: lost to Wichita State, and I don't remember who else they lost to. Did
0: we, I forget. Did we beat Wichita State on that run? It w- I, was it. You correct me we if I'm wrong. We beat it Memphis. Was, it was
1: USF. No, we beat Memphis in the first game. Oh, I don't. We even played remember Memphis it. in game one. We beat them. We played Tulane in game two. Beat Tulane them. Tulane in game two. We beat UCF in the semis. Oh, wow, my
0: memory is totally shot. And then we beat UConn
1: in the championship game. I think ECU lost to UConn and Wichita State. Okay. Because then UConn beat Wichita State in their semifinal game, which set up that matchup when we absolutely obliterated them.
0: Yeah, that was fun, 22-5. to five. Yeah.
1: But, Sean, you up a great point there about how we were going for long ball in the later innings, and rightfully so. Santiago hits a game-tying home run in the bottom of the fifth to tie it at eight. He does it again in the bottom of the 7th to tie it at 10. Joe Powell comes off the bench, first pitch. Yep. He hits a home run. Yep. It's 11 to 10 and you fall in love with the long ball. But the but the thing was Sean like noticed how in the 4th inning we manufactured runs. Notice how in And even in, the
0: 5th inning too. We got two runs out of that inning.
1: Yeah. And then look at what we did in the bottom of the in the 10th inning. We made an adjustment to tie the game and then ultimately win it. Harding flies out to right. I mean, the leadoff hitter is... Ha- I mean, he- keep this in mind, Sean. The leadoff hitter gets out in the bottom of the 10th inning. Here's how the rest of the inning plays out. Mercer singles on a 2-2 count. Bellini singles on a 3-2 count after yep. uh, one-two-three. Uh, that was on the 8th pitch of the at-bat. That's right, yep. Great at-bat there. Matt Hegeman, or Max Hegeman. No, Matt Hegeman comes in.
0: Well, Mercer steals second. Mercer stole second. Okay. And then Bellini single. Wait, did he steal? He stole second. In the bottom of the tenth inning. In the bottom of the tenth inning, they okay. let him do. They let him do it. They let him steal second. I remember. Then Bellini singles. Then Bellini singles. Stapp singles gets an RBI for Mercer. That was, who stole the, tying second. That was the tying run. That was a tying run. Then Stapp steals second.
1: Yup. Mer- then Griffin Mare walks to load the bases. Bases
0: are loaded, and then Nicholson yeah. walks it off. So that's and that was after what pitch was that on when he walked off? Was that the fifth pitch? Third pitch of the at bat. Third pitch. One, two, three. That was felt like a long at bat. Five straight
1: at bats, all on base. Yeah. After the leadoff hitter gets out, that's playing small ball, manufacturing runs. Now, the (laughs) this is the ironic thing about baseball, because only one run scored on that hit by Nicholson, which was the walk off run. Technically, the Bearcats were were docked for three runners left on base. That's, however,
0: <laughs> however... I feel like that's kind of dumb. It, it Well,
1: that's an irony of baseball there for you. However,
0: um, I mean, seven, I kind of get it. Only
1: seven runners total were left on base the entire game. Louisville left 13. Yeah. I mean, they... You look at some of the innings. I think about the seventh inning. Louisville had two runners...
0: Thrown out. At second base? Yep. In a row. Yeah, it was two plays in a row. One off a steal. Yep. And then one... Got cocky. Yeah. He was trying to get to second after he hit it into the outfield, but he wasn't quick enough.
1: Well, Louisville will run.
0: Oh, I know. that was was talking about the
1: entire broadcast. They have a guy who leads the country with 18 stolen bases. I think the next closest guy... They were
0: stealing bases like crazy. How many stolen bases did they have last night? You know, I don't know. I didn't count. Well, we're going to find out.
1: Uh... Louisville had, God, seven steals.
0: Yeah. Seven! Compared to Cincinnati's, if you can find that. Uh,
1: Cincinnati had, heh, one. one.
0: Yeah. Oh, and that came, was in
1: the 10th inning. That came
0: from Cole Harding. No, that was from Mercer. Mercer, Mercer stole Mercer second. Mercer wasn't credited with the steal. Oh, well, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't technically a steal, though. I
1: thought there was a steal, too, in the bottom of the 10th inning, because I remember... I th- it was from I,
0: Mercer. It was from... I, I have a document. I wouldn't write it down if it didn't so happen. So
1: goes Mercer singles, Bellini singles, Mercer goes to second, Stapp goes up the middle, pinch runner for... um, Or Mercer scores off of Stapp's hit.
0: Stapp also stole second. I have in my notes.
1: Hegeman goes to third. So now there's... Stapp advanced to second on...
0: It was after the Tide hit.
1: I think that might have been a steal.
0: Okay, maybe that was Cincinnati's only that was, steal that, the might game. Have been,
1: that might have been the steal, or it might have been a wild pitch. Well, then, I don't know what
0: I have. Okay, well, because I, I don't know where that Mercer steal I is. Think it,
1: I think it was a steal. I think Stapp, he either stole second or was on a wild pitch. Let's see if we can... I th- I'm pretty sure I remember him Stapp stealing. did not get credited with a steal. So we'll go wild pitch.
0: Okay, it, I guess it, it was off a of wild it pitch. It must then. have
1: been how Stapp stole, got to
0: second base. I suppose. Because then Merritt walks to load the bases. I mean, I mean Mercer wasn't in a huge hurry to get to second. I mean, he he sort of took his time. Whoa. So maybe it was a wild pitch, and I just didn't see that it. That wasn't Mercer, though, because Mercer advanced to second
1: on Bellini's hit and then scored on Stapp's hit.
0: That's not what I have.
1: Bellini singled after Mercer
0: stole second.
1: But yet here it says... Um, here it's, according to GoBearCats.com, Mercer advanced to second on Bellini's hit. And there's nothing in here that says Mercer stole second. The only huh. stolen base last night
0: was Cole Harding. That's weird. Which is
1: funny because I thought they stole more than one base, too.
0: That's weird. I, okay, well then, well, I, you know I maybe I messed something we up. We still won the game. Yeah, the game, I mean, yeah, you beat a number seven team in the country. And, and coming back from down eight to two. And yeah. think about how many
1: times, how many times after the tie, they tied the game in eight,
0: they could have folded. They could have, yeah. They could have folded at eight to two. L- well, that's something oh, that's yeah. something Ryan Nicholson said. He was like, we you know we could have folded at eight to two, but Scott Guggins
1: talked about that too after the game. I watched his interview today that they com- that they came back and competed after the after the St. Louis game on Sunday because yeah. you, you should not lose to a team who was six and sixteen going into that game on Sunday and you lose twenty one to six. And not only
0: that, but you beat them two straight games in the two previous days.
1: Yeah, but okay, the ends are justifying the means justifying the means. You come back after losing by 15 to St. Louis and you beat Louisville. That says a lot about this team's resilience. And you're going to have to show that on display when you're at ECU.
0: I think it also shows a little bit of their inconsistency to win.
1: And that's always been um, something that they've struggled with under Scott Guggins in the regular season. Now, once they get to the postseason.
0: Yeah, we've seen nothing but success there. <coughs>
1: well, yeah. Um, at least so far. The thing about Louisville goes ahead 10-8 to eight in the top of the sixth inning. Trey Leonard hits an absolute dinger.
0: Yeah, like remember, I mean, yeah, he, he flipped crushed. his bat. He crushed that. Oh, jeez. Wait, man. where was that again? Top of the sixth. Top of the sixth inning. Okay. Me... I mean,
1: you talk about coming right back. I mean, it was on the first pitch too, and he absolutely destroys it.
0: Yep, there it is. So
1: Louisville goes up ten to eight. We go what? We go up eleven to ten in the bottom of the seventh inning, and then as if that wasn't enough, Louisville comes back in the top of the eighth after two groundouts, hit by pitch, a double to left center, bye. Trey Leonard.
0: Yeah, and not only that, but, I mean, who was the submarine pitcher for Cincinnati? Uh, I don't know where to— Bo f- Keithley. That's right. Okay, so Bo But ended up being the winning pitcher? Yeah, not only that, but he hit a few players. I mean, he hit probably like three Louisville Cardinals. I, I don't know how many Louisville Cardinals got hit by by baseballs, but there was a, there was a lot of them. I mean, it felt like—not every every batter, but it felt like every inning two there was hit like by by, two guy.
1: Hip, two, hits, two hit batters. Was what Bo Keithley had? Huh. That's his first decision of the season. He's one and zero. So then Louisville ties the game in the eighth, uh, ninth inning, tenth inning is when they go up twelve to eleven. You're thinking, okay. I mean, the floodgates could have opened right there and then, but
0: no, we get out of the inning.
1: You know what else? Because they only
0: had one out too. I remember Louisville only had one out when they scored. Yeah, and there was a guy. I'm pretty sure there was a guy on second and third. I'm there almost there was there was there was a guy on second and third. There so was. They had two runners in scoring position, but Cincinnati managed to somehow and you know finish what, off the inning and not know let them else score. What
1: interesting about that is so there was a hit by pitch and a double. So you have second and third, two, nobody out, and the next batter was ahead three and zero. Oh, Keithley. He comes back. K K K.
0: Yep. See ya retired it was a, it him was in a,
1: three pitches. It was a cold strike. Next batter hits a sack fly. I
0: didn't think I didn't know if the runner from third was going to tag Lucas Dunn. He did. They are they try, I think that was when they tried to argue that he tagged early or that he left early. Cuz there was a huge there was like a big thing I think when I don't
1: remember seeing that from upstairs
0: and when, when he tried of, to run home campus. or when so, someone ran home for Louisville on a pop fly. And it maybe it was that. And he did he? He in into Hunt. I'd have
1: to go back and watch that. But anyway, so Louisville scores, and then we come right back after our leadoff hitter gets out, and we manufacture two runs. Yep. Yeah. It was. And there was something else I was going to note to you. Remember, Wyatt Stapp had a great catch against the wall in
0: left field. Oh, you know I what? Don't, I don't remember what
1: inning that was.
0: I think I didn't see it because it was behind a wall for me from where I, from where we, we were. We were sitting literally at the end of the, ba- the third the baseline. It was the top of the fifth inning. Okay.
1: It was the end of the fifth inning when Staff went all the way back to the wall and made a spectacular catch, which set the stage for Santiago's home run.
0: It was Benelis, or B- however you pronounce Benilus. his name. Benelis. I think it's Benelis. It was a fly out to left. Yeah,
1: that's what it was. It was a 1-0 count.
0: That ended the the top of the fifth of the inning. Yep.
1: Okay. I mean you lo- and then you look at some of the stats right now for this team. It um like I remember before like when I first started to, you know, pay attention to our team, like look at some of the numbers. Cole Hardings hitting 343 with 6 home runs and 16 runs bad in. He's a
0: freshman by the way.
1: Yeah, he is. Uh Wyatt Stapps hitting 337, 2 home runs, 19 runs bad in. Griffin Merritt hitting 319, 2 and 11. Mercer has 5 and 13. Uh, Paul Comestack's hitting 368 with two home runs and 15 runs batted in. Tanner Holland's hitting 344 in 11 games played. Um, Bearcats, as a team right now, are hitting 275. They have 31 home runs. 31 home runs. This is not a team that's known for hitting home runs. And you want to talk about Scott Gugenshaw, one of the many great hires from AD Mike Bone. Yep. Think about how far this program has come because I remember when I first, when I first got here, my first year, it was like, uh, okay, when was the last time the Bearcats made the NCAA tournament? And it was, and I saw it was 1974. I'm like, 1974 in a city that's known for its baseball talent?
0: Now it's college baseball talent.
1: Well, it wasn't then, but now?
0: A little bit more, a little bit more. I mean, don't you think – I mean, you have to give Scott Googan's credit for what he's done. No, you absolutely – I mean, what he's done for this program. I mean, last night was probably his – unless I'm missing a game. It was probably the third most – not third most, but it was one of the third, uh, the third super significant win that he's gotten in his time at UC. Uh, you had the win against Oregon State and Corvallis, and you had the conference championship. And those were the, those this, were the other two. I mean, and then this is a real tip of the cap to Scott Googans. He's proven an awful lot. I mean, you know, Scott Googans,
1: you know, was asked at his introductory press conference, would they be able to host a super regional? And, I mean, he was confident that they could at some How point. How
0: about that? I think he would get UC fans really go. I mean, for this game, there were 815 people in attendance.
1: And the, and the, stadium, and, and the
0: stadium probably holds about 1,600. Well, maybe not that much. Maybe like 1,300. No, it,
1: holds, it holds 3,086 capacity. Does not Because there, there was a, there was one game where there were four thousand people here.
0: Really? Oh yep. wow. Okay, never mind. I, I th- huh, that's weird. Because when even with eight hundred people, it looked like the stadium was pretty filled. Yeah, I think
1: you are going to be going to more games this year.
0: I probably will. Yeah. Which is
1: funny because I was thinking about how you haven't been to a game and you would have been working football during the spring yep. of your first year. Last year, it, you were still working football and then well, COVID
0: lights out. Yeah, came. yeah. It's also funny. This is Scott Guggen's third season. And technically his third season. It's yeah, technically his third season. I don't know, it's so weird, but he's only had one one normal season out of three. Well, okay, it, it's 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 gonna be two. But I'm saying at this point in time. I don't know. It's it's really weird to think about. Look at how far we've come,
1: you know, to be able to to be playing college baseball. Oh, it's amazing. And think about this as we transition into our next topic. Outside of um, Joey Votto contracting COVID during spring training, spring training came and went, and as normal.
0: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, not
1: only and since not only for the Reds, but across the entire both Cactus and Grapefruit leagues.
0: Yeah, and I mean the only thing that about spring training that I'm really bummed about is uh, Sonny Gray. Really, no, I shouldn't say the only thing, but that's the biggest thing I'm bummed about because I really, well, I really wanted him to get the start. Uh, I think he would have gotten I think he would have too because I think think, frankly he deserved it
1: But tomorrow, Sean As you and I both know And as the whole city of Cincinnati knows
0: And if you don't know, you're living under a rock
1: Well, Luke Fickle lives under a rock So technically you're in good company then Lives under a rock? Luke Fickle always says he lives under a rock
0: Oh, I've never heard him say that Or
1: he lives in a bunker (laughs) Whatever, however he says it
0: He does have a big house
1: I think. Well, you'd have to have a big house if you have six kids, and then you have Marcus Freeman's family living with you. Yeah, or you did. Yeah.
0: Anyway.
1: Uh, anyway so tomorrow. Tomor- tomorrow is opening day. Is opening day, and not only that, Sean, but guess who we're playing? St. Louis, a team who's consistently beating our ass for years and years and years. And
0: guess what their mascot is? Ha ha ha! Good one. I was, you know, it's funny. I was thinking that last night. I was like, oh wait, we're playing two. We're playing Louisville again. Wait, no, they're St. Louis. Like, it, it took me a second. I was like, well, they're both the Cardinals, so it's close enough. Do you do you know
1: the last time the Reds won the season series against St. Louis?
0: Was it this past
1: decade? Barely. 2011? Correct. Wow. 2011. Ironically, the last year the Cardinals won the World Series. You know, I vaguely remember them winning that. So the last time, so tomorrow, Luis Castillo will start for the Reds. He'll be opposed by the Cardinals' Jack Flaherty. Uh, Sonny Gray being on the injured list with back spasms means that Tyler Malley will start game two of the series Saturday for the Reds against Adam Wainwright of the Cardinals. That's an interesting matchup there. Uh, Youth versus one of the best pitchers of our generation. And then game three will be Jeff Hoffman for the Reds, former first-round first round draft pick of the Blue Jays. He'll be opposed by Carlos Martinez of the Cardinals. So, we're through spring training. Reds weren't very good in spring training, if that matters to you. Um, and so now, we're here at opening day. You, what do you think, because I know you've talked to me about the Reds, um and your skepticism going into the season but yet sean to me despite who they've lost
0: they still have a lot of the same team from last year yeah they do um i gotta give them that i mean they did only subtract players they lost the cy young award winner and trevor bauer uh, so that one stings um I mean, who else did they lose? They lost um, Trevor Bauer,
1: Russell Iglesias, yeah,
0: Iglesias. Archie Bradley.
1: Those are the only; those were the only three major pieces that they lost.
0: And those, to me, those are three really big ones. And they really only subtracted. I mean, you know, you have uh, India, who was the. Um, Reds, one of the Reds' 2018 first-round draft picks who is now going to start on opening day. So that's exciting. And then you mentioned, um, who was the other first-round pick from the Blue Jays, you said? Jeff Hoffman, pitcher, who is going to start for the Reds on the mound Sunday. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. I mean, you think about the potential talent this team has. but um, Well, some of it's still on the injured list. Yeah, that's true, too. Um, it'll be interesting to see how when Sonny Gray gets back, how the Reds will potentially improve, How, how what his record will be this year versus the other pitchers, um, that'll be something to keep track of, is, is, the, is the dugout, or not the dugout, the bullpen. See how the, how the pitchers compare to one another this season. Um, because, I mean, the Reds rallied back late last year, really late last year, uh, to make it to the playoffs. Obviously, they didn't do literally anything with it. Could barely get guys on base. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very skeptical about this season. I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm holding out hope. I hope they do really well. Um I would never root against the Reds ever. Um even if you paid me to. Unless maybe I gambled against them. But anyway, um point being, yeah, I'm I'm somewhat skeptical of this team because they didn't really make a lot of big big moves in the off season. Um so you know, I guess we'll just see how the season plays out and it'll be a normal MLB season for the most part, there might be a couple games that get canceled due to COVID-related issues, maybe. But aside from that, it's a normal season.
1: Well, Preston and I brought this up on our Red Side Alert podcast earlier today. And I, I'm saying, you know, look, the Reds still have a lot of talent from last year's team. Like, I, th- I think about Suarez, Mustakis, Castellanos, Winker, Akiyama, who's on the injured list. Um, yeah, yeah
0: uh senzel winker i love i love nick senzel ever since we ever healthy. since we brought him up to the big yeah. leagues my freshman year there are a lot of ifs
1: right now regarding this team yeah yeah there are a lot of ifs so
0: uh, but if
1: if those ifs become reality this team might have a chance to be good
0: yeah i, I don't think they'll win a world series but they could potentially potentially if they get if they'd End up clicking, they could win a series in the postseason potentially. Which but not, I think but would be a step in the right direction. Well, I
1: mean this fran- this franchise hasn't won a postseason series since 1995, which was the last time any Cincinnati team advanced professional team, I should say, advanced in the postseason. I'm saying you look at the National League Central: the Cardinals, Brewers, Cubs, and the Pirates. It's, it's not a com- it, it's
0: a competitive division. It's a
1: competitive division, but it's not a very strong division. Like right. I, I think 87, 90 wins wins this division.
0: Yeah, it's not very much. It's really not. I
1: mean, the Cardinals, yeah, they signed Nolan Arenado. Believe me, that is a splashy free agent signing. However, are the Cardinals the most talented team in this division? I would argue it's the Brewers. Same here. You think about who the Brewers have? Christian Yelich, Lorenzo Cain, Abasael Garcia. They're starting pitching rotation strong. Their bullpens lights out with Josh Hader, Jeremy Jeffress, and Devin Williams. They have the most talent in this division. The Cubs are an interesting case because I, there's not a lot of optimism and optimistic vibes surrounding the team. Sure. And yet, they still have
0: Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo. Um, I think he signed a one-year deal, didn't he? Is that what I heard? I think I feel like he I signed him. a one-year deal. Rizzo? I thought I heard he just signed the deal or something on the radio. A couple it might days ago. have
1: been him. They still have, I believe, Addison Russell. They still have Jason Hayward. I think they still have Jason Hayward. They still have Wilson Contreras. They still have a lot of the core that was there when they won the World Series five years ago.
0: That's weird to think that was five years ago, isn't it? What a time that was! It's kind of scary. Honestly. Uh, it's scary. That time's—I mean, that—that that was five years ago. Eh. it's crazy. Uh,
1: the Pirates, yeah, well, they—they're in the depths of a massive rebuild. In Pittsburgh. The Pirates? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they're probably going to lose 100 games. But anyone out there who thinks the, the Reds, their saving grace is the Pirates. No, the Reds aren't going to not finish in last place because of the Pirates. The Reds are not going to finish in last place because they actually have a competitive team. I think about, you know, a lot of ifs come into play. If Luis Castillo wins 15-18 games, if Sonny Gray wins 14-17, if... You know Tyler Malley uh, reaches his potential, close to maybe his full potential. If Joey Votto has a resurgent year, if Suarez bounces back this year, if Castellanos continues to rake baseballs, hit 35 to 40 home runs, if Akiyama, when he returns, is that table setter that he was last year that was integral to the Reds' late season push towards a playoff berth. If Jesse Winker continues his production, if Senzel can stay healthy, this team, it's not inconceivable for me to think can win maybe 85 to 90 games.
0: Oh, that'd be huge, really. Because think about this. If they if they win 80,
1: that's a huge step. I, I'll give you my record prediction. I think they're gonna win 80. I think they're gonna win 85 this year. Really? What do you think? I'm thinking
0: like 78.
1: It's reasonable to it's reasonable to think that. Because fans are upset that they didn't land a splashy free agent sign in the offseason with a shortstop. They wanted Lindor, they wanted Antreton Simmons, they wanted DD Gregorius. Instead, they you know got Kyle Holder in some weird Rule 5 trade, I think. And then, now your starting shortstop is going to be Eugenio Suarez. Yeah. And Moustakis goes back to third. Jonathan India, the rookie second baseman, is going to play at second. First red second baseman to make his MLB debut on opening day since Pete Rose in 1963. Um, we don't know if Joey Votto is going to be activated tomorrow or not, coming off of the COVID uh, list. And there's a lot of questions going into the season. This team is not fully healthy right now. I think with what you have, if you are able to make it out of your first 18 games, 500, fine. Their first 18 games, the Cardinals for three, Pirates for three, just win two out of three at least in that series, please. They go on the road to face Arizona and San Francisco three each, come home for Cleveland and Arizona three each. So that's 18 games. Your next two series, Sean, are the Cardinals and the Dodgers both on the road. You can't go into those two series six and twelve or five and thirteen. No, especially now
0: with the Dodgers being the reigning uh, world champions.
1: Not only that, but maybe the most talented team in all Major League Baseball. They. Have I wouldn't to. be
0: shocked if they went back to no, back.
1: I wouldn't either. I, they're my pick to win the World Series. Yeah. The Brewers are my pick to win the division. I have the Cardinals in the wild card.
0: Um. After you picking Tampa Bay last year, I can't really disagree with who you pick. For cha- winning championships, no, you can. You certainly cannot. Except my March
1: Madness bracket, you can.
0: Well, anyone can disagree with anybody's bracket.
1: Uh, well, I think Mar- I think the the tournament itself can disagree with anybody's brackets. I saw a statistic.
0: <clears> or Roberts. Yeah, I saw I saw a meme yesterday that was actually uh, who did they lose to? Is Arkansas. Um, I thought they were going to win that game. I was hoping they did. They almost did. That three point shot. I swear, when they left, when they left, left that guy's hands,
1: Max Acemus, I thought that was going to. <sighs> he was. I mean, I hope
0: he goes to the NBA. Leading He's scorer to, in the country. Yeah, great player. Um, I saw a meme the other day. It was uh, it was like Oral Roberts. We're going to the Elite Eight, and then Arkansas, and then it was a, it, it was like Arkansas colon, and then a picture of Oral Roberts's jersey, which was O R U, like O R U. I thought that was funny, but oh, um, are you? I saw another stat today. There were so there, I'm sure a lot of people know this, but there were 14.7 million brackets that were submitted to ESPN's 0. challenge. Zero, 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 two percent of those 14.7 million got the elite, or I'm sorry, got the final four correct.
1: Gonzaga, UCLA, Baylor, and Houston. Yeah,
0: that's, that's ridiculous. ridiculous. it's a wacky final four. It really
1: is. It's really wacky. Like if Michigan had won last night over UCLA. You'd have three ones and a two, that wouldn't have been as wacky as. No, this. that would have been conceivable. But just think, but just think about this: none of the four, actually, three of the four teams have never won an NCAA tournament. Um, UCLA last won an NCAA tournament in 1995. This is the first Final Four where no
0: where no team east of the Mississippi River is in it. Oh, and no teams, I think, from the original thirteen colonies. That was the Elite Eight, actually, I think. I saw a stat that said That's though, astounding to no, me. No team from the original I mean, 13 you, colonies. I mean, when you think about... Uh, That's the first time in tournament history, too. I mean, it. this Final Four. Um, like, UCLA
1: was a team... Like, I thought they were going to lose to Michigan State in the first four.
0: I think a lot of people did. Now
1: they're playing in the Final Four, and it's just so unlikely. And you can say, well, they got lucky because they faced Abilene Christian. No! They didn't get lucky. They beat the top two teams in their region to get to the Final Four.
0: No, they, they, they you got to give them credit. I mean, they've played hard, good basketball, and frankly good on Mick Cronin for finally reaching a Final Four. I mean, I think it's about time that he finally, not only Final Four and Elite Eight, I think it's only about time for him that he reached an Elite, an Elite Eight and a Final Four. It's crazy to me because here we are. He's two wins away from a national title. Just think about that.
1: Here we are. Yeah. Two years ago, we're sitting March 31st, Mick Cronin's still the head coach at UC. Now obviously, there were rumors if, if you know he was gonna leave. there were obviously talks about his contract. His contract, you know, he was due for an extension. Then there's a report comes out of a pay cut and
0: There's all kinds of wacky stuff.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of wacky stuff. First, Jamie Dixon turns down the UCLA job. I, I think John Calipari was swarmed into that conversation. He was. I
0: heard Colin Coward talking about it earlier. That was
1: never going to
0: happen. No, no, no. Never, never going to happen. Calipari was never. Rick
1: gonna. Barnes was the next head coach up for the job. He turns it down the night of the national championship, if I remember correctly. Really? And then the next day, at about twelve uh thirty, Croning heads to Westwood.
0: Yep. And, not the Westwood here, by the way. Not 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 that Westwood. we yeah, no, no. We're talking UCLA. I'm from Westwood.
1: Yes. Well, don't forget UCLA is just our West Coast branch campus.
0: They are. That don't forget that, everybody. It's important. <laughs> Football and basketball. It's a little bit more of a liberal school, but. Football and basketball. They are yeah. our branch campus. So we want them to win.
1: But anyway, like two years ago, are you you're sitting here certainly you're, you're not thinking, oh, UCLA in two years is going to be a much better program
0: than we are. No. I, I I mean, because who could have... I mean, heck, even two weeks ago, when all this stuff was going down, before it happened, I didn't think that. No. no. I mean, was, was there a worry about, you know, the recruiting, the future of recruiting and stuff like that? Yeah. But then when six guys all transferred out, then it was like, well all right, this is our program now. This is our school. This is where we are.
1: Yeah, and it's just crazy to me because Mick Cronin was like, what, UCLA's fourth option of head coach at that point? And UC takes one week, less than one week. Mick Cronin leaves on a Tuesday. Brandon's introduced on a Monday, the following Monday. So not that much longer after Mick Cronin leaves, Brandon's hired. You're thinking, okay, you know, we, we still have a lot of the young core intact, but then all of a
0: Cumberland and Trey Scott and Keith Williams, Duty hey, those, those
1: three stayed. You're still feeling good. But then, Brooks. Nice here, Brooks. See ya. Yeah. Elios Soseme. See ya. Samari Curtis. High recruit. God, I forgot about him. Decommits. Still hasn't found a permanent place to play college basketball either. Mm-hmm. Bless his heart. Maybe he wasn't meant to be. Well, maybe not. Uh, Maybe a lot of maybe he wasn't meant to be a college basketball player. And maybe we weren't meant to actually take the next step towards a final four. Because that was the the expectation coming in under John Brandon. But now, Sean, as we transition. um, So Friday, there's a statement released Mm -hmm. by athletic director, John Cunningham. An interesting statement. What?
0: An interesting statement. A very
1: interesting statement. That the uh, athletic department will conduct a review of allegations towards the men's basketball program. Now, the way I've been interpreting that statement recently
0: is this: a review of allegations, but it doesn't say what allegations. Yeah, which is really weird. I don't know why they would keep that under wraps. I feel like the I feel like fans and really the entire college basketball world deserves to know. It's
1: one thing if you're going to review the program and review its head coach and any wrongdoing that he has committed. But it's another thing if you don't come out and be as transparent as possible to the school and your fan base that is already up in arms with you about, their pro- about the program. This is a program that, yes, John Brennan is the head coach of, but you oversee as an athletic director in John Cunningham. And let's be honest, there has not been a decision made yet.
0: No. Uh, Well, so tomorrow, I mean, as you and I talked about before the beginning of the show, um, his buyout decreases tomorrow, uh, or payout, or buyout, whatever you might call it. Buyout. Buyout decreases. I don't know by how much. Um, But his buyout decreases, and they can fire him with cause... Meaning that if these allegations are true, they don't have to pay his buyout because, you know, it, it's like, think about like Joe Paterno, for example, for those listeners who don't really understand. You know, he was fired from Penn State because of these horrible things that he had, um, you know, covered up. And and that's a reason to fire somebody over legitimate concerns. It's not like, oh, you're not winning us games. We're not sad. having success with you. What a sad um, story that was. And credit to James Franklin for bringing that program back. I mean, they're they're kind of back in the toilet again right now. But well, they had a, they had a down year. Yeah, you can't really. I mean, Kentucky had a down year in basketball. Jinx. Yeah. So. All the all the Blue Bloods did.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Well, so for
0: Kansas. I mean, North Carolina. Not really. They still made the tournament, Butcher, but they lost in the first. But your
1: blue bloods didn't even go to the Sweet Sixteen. I mean, who's your? Who is the marquee? I mean, UCLA is a blue blood school, but yeah. What have they done? That's since, true. What have they won since done since '95? Three straight Final Fours. Yeah, that's fine, I guess. That's but, pretty impressive. Yeah, but anyway, so um, so stuff could go down tomorrow. Tomorrow, but here's the thing: the longer this goes on. Either A, tells me that John Brandon more has a likelier chance of being the head coach.
0: Yep, I agree.
1: Or B, okay.
0: who knows where this is headed? No, I mean, because here's the scary part. We don't have a team to field. We have Dave, the Julius, Jeremiah Davenport, and Micah Adams-Woods. If John yeah, That's our team right now. The, the mean,
1: longer this takes, the, the less confident I am about next season, which I'm already not.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to be confident about next And the season.
1: more uncertainty that there is. Here's a program, Sean, that two years ago was had nine consecutive NCAA tournament appearances under their belt. Mm-hmm. And because we couldn't get to the Sweet 16, we have to completely upend our identity. No, you really didn't. Zach and I were talking about this last night. Mo Egger talked about it on his show on ESPN 1530 on Monday. Did we really need to fix... Whatever there was they needed to be fixed? Cause I'm pretty sure if there's one phrase in life I live by, if it ain't broke,
0: don't fix it. Well, I think a lot of Cincy fans felt like the system was broke and because
1: How was the system broke? It got you in nine straight tournaments.
0: Yes, but how much of that success was there? It was a lot of second round exits and first round Doesn't exits.
1: Doesn't matter, Sean, you were one of sixty-eight teams nine straight years playing in the NCAA tournament.
0: And I understand, but i Sixty- I'm just gonna I'm just saying. Just, it's a lot of Cincy fans, including yeah. me, were frustrated with the lack of postseason success. And a simple math here. 68 divided
1: by 353. Whoop. Less than 20% of the teams in the country make the NCAA tournament. And you're one of them.
0: It's
1: fair. And people get so mad that we didn't get to the Sweet 16. Do you realize, Sean, that Bob Huggins... In his last nine years as a head coach, do you know how many Sweet 16s he made? One. Yep. Do you know how many years of the nine-year run Mick Cronin made the NCAA tournament here? How many Sweet 16s he made? One. Yep. Exact same thing. And what happened when Bob Huggins left and Mick Cronin left? The program went... Yeah. Who was that
0: interim coach? Andy Kennedy. Okay. Who, in his credit, nearly took the team into the tournament. I'll give him that. I didn't know he was. I didn't know he was a name. I thought we transitioned from Huggins straight to Cronin. I didn't even know there was a nope. year. I didn't even know there was a year that there was an interim coach, or if you want to call him an interim. I don't know technically what he was. I guess he was an interim. Uh,
1: the bridge between Huggins and Cronin. Yeah, we'll call it that. But now the men's basketball program, Sean, is not in a very good state.
0: It's excuse me. It's in a position that I don't think it's ever really been in before. Um,
1: well, it was kind of in it in 2007
0: maybe six, seven. maybe, but uh, I don't know, I guess you can maybe argue that, but I feel like this is different with all the rumors that are swirling and you know, I don't know it's 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 very it's very, very unique um, and it's it's a little it's it's worrisome to say the least. I mean no one's confident about next year. Are there so Cincy fans that are holding out hope that maybe we'll f- even to just be able to feel a team? Yeah. Do I expect us to have a winning record? No. Probably will be around 13. It'll probably be around 17. 13. Is that a cat on that roof? What is that? Something just walked across that roof over there. All right, I never know. mind. What, what, what I don't, f- over that roof over there. I, anyway, we're we're getting off that. Anyway, the
1: show. you got distracted by something. Anyway, it was, uh, that was weird. I'm, what I'm getting at is, you know, I'm going back through... John Brandon's tenure so far, because he hasn't been fired yet, and I'm thinking about, you know, the signs that m- told me that maybe John Brandon's not the right head coach. You know, notice how every time he was shown on the video board outside Fifth Third Arena, he, he was in a very stoic, like, um, stance, arms crossed, straight face. He wasn't that fiery image that you would have seen of Cronin. Um, the, uh, the, I don't the, know if The, Jer- really the Jaron Cumberland fiasco. I he sits that. the whole second half of the Drake game, given the Bearcats were up by a significant amount, but still worth pondering about why. Misses the next game due to a coach's decision. I'm pretty sure a head coach who comes in with the reigning conference player of the year, a, third, a reigning All American, does not have his best player decrease performance-wise from junior year to senior year. That's a sign right there. Another sign. Losing games that they should not have lost, a.k.a. Colgate. Colgate, a.k.a. Bowling Green.
0: Yeah, I forgot about that game. I'm pretty sure, and think about the last... Almost lost to Illinois State, <clears> too. <throat> yeah. That's a tournament... The day, the day before that. That's
1: a tournament under McCrone, and they win, and they win convincingly.
0: True. I remember when they won it my freshman year, too.
1: I remember. I'm going to go turn mine. I'll get a little dark in here. But anyway, so what we're getting at here is I'm thinking about that and then thinking about the number of players who transferred. Trevor Moore, Jay Sirola, leaves the program. Sirola wanted to go pursue his dreams professionally. Maybe there's another reason why he left.
0: I mean, sure, it's easy to say that in retrospect, but to say that was a sign at the time... You didn't think so, because at that time, the Bearcats were on a four-game winning streak. I mean, think about
1: what the Bearcats did against Houston when they came back from down 15, what they did against Memphis coming back from down 10, what, did, what they did against USF and Temple down 13, or, yeah, 13 and 14, respectively, in the second half. But I'm thinking about this. That, wasn't, that did not have anything to do, I don't think, with Brandon's coaching. That was basically Jaron and Trey. Once the game plan for those games, they realized weren't working out. They said, all right, we're taking this game over. They didn't need the coaching. They just needed to be who they were.
0: And if that's the case, case. it worked out.
1: And Cincinnati basketball, we weren't used to seeing them get behind by eight in the second half against East Carolina or nine against UCF or or 13 against USF. Are you kidding me?
0: Uh, I wouldn't say that we weren't used to it. I mean, that's just typical cardiac cat's behavior, I would say. But
1: a team... No, with, but we shouldn't be but in those a situations. a team with that talent should never have been in that situation. Right. Shouldn't a new head coach only come in and elevate that talent, which is exactly what Michelle Clark-Curtis has done which is ex- with women's basketball, which is exactly what Scott Guggenst has done with baseball, and exactly what Luke Fickle has done with football. Oh,
0: he's done more than... I mean. He's gone above and beyond the Call of Duty.
1: I'm just going to say this, too. I heard this down on the radio on Monday. UCLA, when Mick Cronin became their head coach, do you know how many players transferred from that program upon his hire?
0: Zero. Correct. Moving on. Um, today was Pro Day here at the University of Cincinnati. It was. It was. I'm actually pulling up the, name, the list of names here. Give me one second.
1: And according to Chad Brendel of Bearcat Journal, uh, Derek Forrest and James Wiggins had quite the day. Uh, yeah, like based on
0: their, their unofficial numbers, it seems like they were kicking... I mean, you look at James Wiggins. Holy cow, is he a freak of of nature. I mean, he is. he's built like a freaking rock. He's insane. So for Pro Day, you had James Hudson, you had Darius Harper, you had Derek Forrest. Excuse me. You had Jared Dopes, James Smith, Ethan Tucky, Jarrell White, James Wiggins, Bruno Labelle, Elijah Ponder, Cameron Young which is interesting because he was a walk-on for four years. That's a lot
1: of players.
0: We're not done yet. Alex Heil, Thomas Geddes. Thomas Geddes. Oh, yeah, because that's, yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Chris Ferguson, Ethan, uh, Brian Wright. No, I almost said Ethan Wright. Um, Rashad Medeiros and Ryan Jones.
1: It's a lot of players.
0: So you have... Uh, it's
1: 12, I think. You have a
0: running back, a safety, a two offensive linemen, a Defense, uh, I'm sorry, a punter, a defensive end, a linebacker, a safety, or I, I should say another safety, a tight end, another D lineman, a running back, another running back. Alex Heil was another offensive lineman. Thomas Geddes, a former wide receiver. Chris Ferguson, a former offensive lineman. Brian Wright, a former line, middle linebacker. Rashad Madaris, the uh, former speedy wide receiver. Um, that's been taken by Trey Tucker. Well, actually, no. Even Trey Tucker's not even the fastest. I forget who it is. Uh, Ryan, and then a uh, kicker, and a uh, backup punter uh, in Ryan Jones.
1: Quite a... Former um, backup punter. Quite a bevy of distri- uh, diverse positions there.
0: Competing. Yeah. yeah, seriously. Talk about athletes. A I lot think, of good players.
1: And I think what you're seeing is that Luke Fickle and what the culture he's built here it's only going to churn out more pro players.
0: You yeah. think
1: about Corey Cunningham, you think about Cortez Broughton, you think about Marquise Copeland, you think about um Fitz didn't make Josiah it. Josiah Deguara Deguara. Third round pick. What Luke Fickle has done I mean, this is now a program where you can come in as a recruit and you will develop into a pro pro prospect. And what more can you ask for? Exactly. I mean, it, it, it is truly unbelievable what Luke Fickle has done to this program. And that's the problem, Sean, that I have with the basketball program. Because it's this program's name brand program, its signature program, and it's in the position that it's in. And I'm watching all these other schools in the NCAA tournament and the cultures that their head coaches have established. But think about but I was also thinking about this. Think about how difficult it is to replace a legendary head coach or a legendary player. The Bills took two decades to replace Jim Kelly at quarterback. Josh Allen apparently appears to be the, the next great quarterback there. The Patriots, who knows how long it's going to take them to replace Tom Brady. The Bulls have never been the same since Michael Jordan left. The Pacers have been, eh, really good some years, but mediocre otherwise since Reggie Miller left. Um, uh, I'm a blanking here. I'm thinking about...
0: I'm trying to think of teams as well.
1: The 49ers were not great when Joe Montana left. The Packers have been – the Packers, they've been – they've gone from one great quarterback to another great quarterback. That's a rare exception. But I'm just saying, it's hard to replace legendary players and coaches. Indiana, oh, sure, because it comes with
0: high expectations.
1: Indiana has never been because they establish themselves and people fall in love with them like they're some god. Indiana has never been the same since Bob since Bobby Knight left. Um, what's, Who's another legendary coach in college basketball? UConn. Maybe has never been the same since Jim, since Jim Calhoun has left. I'm thinking about... Um, who else? When, when Roy Williams leaves North Carolina, or when Mike Krzyzewski leaves... He was Duke, undefeated
0: in the first round until they lost this year. It's true. That, that's remarkable
1: consistency. It is hard to replace coaching legends or legendary players. The Dolphins haven't been, haven't been able to find a quarterback since Dan Marino. Mm-hmm. and don't tell me Tua was the answer there because I, I'll mm-hmm. tell you right now he's not I never believed in Tua exactly uh, the Saints might go into that same position when because now Drew Brees is retired um, think about the Rockets have never been the same since Elijah Wan and Drexler left uh, the Knicks have not really been the same since Patrick Ewing left same with Phoenix and Barkley
0: same with Utah and Stockton and Malone I think that's enough examples. <laughs> I think we're, I think we're good there because we have another, we have one minute left. I'm just, say, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Look at the cultures that have been established by some of the other college basketball
1: coaches, and especially with Luke Fickle here. John Brennan has not done that yet. Nope. And John Cunningham has done a poor job handling this situation. I was excited for when he got hired. Now I'm
0: not. I was excited with a little skepticism. Well, it's hard to replace Mike Bowen.
1: I always hide my skepticism because I always want to give these player, these coaches, players, and administrators a chance,
0: but make one mistake, and I immediately start questioning. That's fair enough. It's only right. Well, that's all the time we have for tonight, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Uh, tune in potentially next week. We're not really sure. Next time we're going to do a show. Um, who knows how much will how much we'll happen between now and next week. We'll see. I think if something happens with John Brandon, we'll probably do another show next week. But until then... Make sure you, stay, uh, you celebrate opening day tomorrow like it's a holiday. And as always, go Bearcats.